0: The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal Country, and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. Ask me a question. Is there something about school that you want to say? Mm. Ah, and good teacher, not the hatey ones.
1: So the hater ones, so yeah. keep to the good teachers and ignore yeah. the hater ones, huh?
0: Eat. Hate to go and hate.
1: Hate is going to hate. Yeah, baby.
0: This is The Future is Inclusive, and that was the voice of Dominika, who's been navigating access to education as a gender non-binary person with a disability in a Canberra high school. We'll hear more from Dominika and their parent, as well as a mum on how her son's inclusion in mainstream classroom gave him the social capital he needed to succeed as an adult with an intellectual disability. I'm Cara Matthews, and in this episode of The Future is Inclusive, we're learning about access and inclusion for children with disability in terms of education. So where are the barriers to accessing education for children with disabilities, and how are schools making reasonable adjustments? Let's start with Dominika's parent, Sean. Sean moved to Canberra from far north Queensland when the NGIS pilot was underway. But for a few reasons, it was a bumpy transition. Sean, who's also known as Shona, is a Jabaganji and adopted Karag person and identifies as gender non-binary. Here's a little bit about their experience.
1: We arrived in Canberra on a weekend, so it was a Thursday or Friday, and there was a school in our backyard, so on the Monday, Dominika was watching the kids play out there and went, all right, Dad, I'm ready to start school, and we were going to do a slow integration over a couple of weeks. We stayed there for about uh, nearly just under two years. And Dominika had had enough because we were struggling to get support and stuff. We ended up getting a house and so moved to our local school over there. And pretty much the difference from the, walk, the day we walked in, the door was amazing. Where it was, what's, what more support can we find for Dominica? What more support can we get? What's happening? At, how's her stuff going at home? What isn't she doing at home? that she could be doing at home to help and specialists coming in and stuff. So wanting to find out from the first initial interview every piece, possible piece of information that they could find out that would support in what she's interested in stuff. Now we're in high school and the difference is completely amazing because we have the hour-long classes and then we have get a five to ten-minute break to wander before we have our next class and stuff. And I think those shorter classes... And everything, are helping the brain sort of go, yep, cool, shake that class off, go into the next class. Dominica is in a unit and mainstream with unit support when they're in mainstream. So they have an LSA in whatever class they're in that's there just to assist in wherever the kids need it in the class, so it's not a focused one for them. There's individual learning plans that um, we go in and meet with the school and sort it out, like go through So that's basically what allowances need to be made for the child in their learning, in the school environment, in all the different areas of whatever areas are affected. The office staff basically really in any school that we've been to so far has probably been our saving grace, like allies wise, whether it be just the phone calls when Dominika would get into trouble and I'd need to be at school, so then she would have been off causing chaos for the whole school and it would have been crazy, whereas the office staff would just ring up and be like, hey, Sean, Dominika's been removed from the class, trying to come get out? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll be up in ten minutes. Dominica must have, at one of the open days that she went to with the school last year, mentioned about the whole not sure if she was she or they or them. And we got a call from the office when they were doing the enrolments going what's Dominica's gender? Because she hasn't ticked a box on the male-female thing. Would you rather we just put it down as ex-gender? And I went, huh? Like, just the shock of that phone call was going, uh, yes? Yes, please, let them be ex-gender and let them find out, yeah, OK. And so little moments like that has sort of made you feel better and feel more comfortable and stuff.
0: So that's one example of inclusion and finding allies in the education system. Now let's hear from Cherie Henley. Cherie's son, Isaac, started school in special education, which at the time was what she thought was the only option for kids with intellectual disability. Then she found out there might actually be another
2: option for Isaac. The first time someone said to us, your son has quite a significant disability, was when he was about four, and we were looking for how we were going to place him in schools. And so... We were sort of shepherded towards a specialist preschool and so he went there because that's what the experts said and that's where kids like that belong, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we he went along to this specialist preschool and, of course, it was full of wonderful teachers that worked very hard to help him grow and develop. And I'm grateful to them, but he was also in with a bunch of other kids just like him that had significant disability. And the kids were picked up on the bus and taken there. So I never got to meet any other mums, really. So there was no community building like you do with your other kids. My other son, who's older, I'd experienced all of what that was like. You know, you meet all the mums and we went to a play group and Then we went to each other's houses and all that sort of stuff and that all came to a grinding halt when Isaac was born. And then it was off to specialist primary school where the situation was again no friends and no community outside of school. He never learnt to read and he never learnt to write and he never learnt any uh, numeracy skills and it's my belief that he is capable because... We've done some stuff with him at home around reading and writing and he's shown indications that he has the capacity. But you've got to believe it's possible and you've got to have the time and resources and systems surrounding you to enable you to make all of that happen. Anyway, so um, we went through specialist school and in primary school and then I started seeing some other families that had kids with quite severe disability that were going to mainstream schools and I went... What? Is that possible? Why didn't anyone tell me about this, you know? I thought, right, well, let's try going to mainstream. I gathered some family and friends to help me go to open days and all of that sort of stuff, and we spent a year and a half probably looking for somewhere, and um, it was hard. (laughs) And I think... um, I came across a school where the principal said, "Well, we don't, we're not really sure how to do this, but gee, we'll give it a go," and and that's all I wanted. And I felt like uh, we had a chance. <laughs> the, the conversation between us and the school was always open, and even if the answer was no, at least I felt heard, you know. And I felt I felt Isaac's voice was being heard, you know. They really did have a go at including him socially as well as educationally. Kids were encouraged to get to know him and to interact with him and help in his education, Uh, and it helped them, I believe, too. You know, two of his friends are now working in education because of Isaac working with kids like him. What's the importance of having that social The importance of having social capital. When Isaac was in a specialist classroom, he would have a teacher and maybe two learning support assistants and he would be surrounded by other kids that were like him, couldn't speak, would stim a lot on things and he had no role models around him at all. And so he would probably spend the day getting probably, I don't know, an hour of attention from the teacher and the rest of the time sitting in the corner just stimming on something, whereas at mainstream he was surrounded by hundreds of role models of how to behave in a way that's what we're wanting him to, to do. I, I witnessed him sit in a chair at, an, at a school assembly for 45 minutes and lean into the other kids and kind of it was as if to whisper like other kids do in assemblies, you know, <laughs> You know, it would have been nice for him to get told off for being noisy in assembly, but look at him. He was just sat there and I couldn't believe it And because that's something he'd never been able to do. The other kids would demonstrate what to do and, and he was surrounded by all those great models. And also they had lots to learn from him as well. They're learning to slow down, be patient, how to give instructions to someone in a way and just and communicate to someone in a way that's not, just verbal, had to pay attention to someone's body language. So they had lots to learn from him. And also, since he's left school, that social capital has been important too, because these kids that don't have disability can drive, can connect him to their friends uh, and other opportunities for him to go and participate in things. His networks are now much wider because of it. And that's what I was aiming for. Social capital
0: has opened a lot of doors for Isaac, and we'll hear more on that from Sheree in our episode about purpose. It's in the feed now if you want to jump ahead. This is The Future is Inclusive. I'm Kara Matthews, and this episode is all about access to education for children with disabilities. Let's hear from an ally. Lyndall Reid is the principal at Southern Cross Early Childhood School. We spoke to her about some of the changes she made at her school so that all the kids were included. We have a wide
3: range of students who come to our school some with diagnosed disabilities and delays and some who have disabilities and delays but they're not diagnosed. And I guess what's really important for us is we start off uh, working really productively and proactively with our families uh, when those children either come to our school or come to our attention. And I think what the most important thing is that we understand that parents have a great deal of knowledge and understanding about their child and the disability mostly and we need to rely on that expertise really heavily for them to have a successful transition to our school. So for us, I see it as a journey as we you know, go along this pathway of this child's education together with the family. For me, it's a bit like walking alongside the family to be able to uh, get the best outcomes for them and their education. I think what's really important is to really listen to the family. And uh, for some of our families who, who perhaps don't have a diagnosis yet or are exploring a diagnosis, then it really is about support and understanding and really helping that family to go through a bit of a almost a mourning process or a grief process as they're understanding the changes that have happened to their child. What's really important to me is that our children here have um, the same access and have the same experience as much as is possibly you know as much as we possibly can at our school. And so uh, there's really simple things that we've done. Well, I mean they seem simple. It's sometimes it can take us a long time. So for example, for one of our children who uses a walker extensively, our classroom doors are quite heavy, and he can't open them by himself by himself. And so for me, just that thought of being a person in a space and not be able to open the door was um, really distressing for me. And so what we were able to do was apply for a grant to get one of our doors changed to be a self-opening door. So that uh, a sliding door that's activated by movement. So then he could be able to leave the space uh, without needing to rely on a friend or an adult. Now obviously the friends and the adults are really happy to help, that's not the point. The point is he has the right to be able to exit the building and we wanted to give him that opportunity. Uh, other things that we do um, are, is uh, that are really important is also work with other therapists or um, specialists who are involved with the child. Obviously, they have a different perspective that's really important for us to be able to understand. Uh, and another really important thing that we do is uh, we look at how we program and plan for the experiences that we offer. So a good example of that was just recently uh, we've had um, uh, orienteering be taught at the school and we worked with the people who came to help us teach orienteering uh, so that they did it in a location that was a bit closer to the child's classroom and that he didn't have to walk so far in his walker over to the the space that they wanted to use, uh, which meant that by the time he got there he was really tired and he couldn't actually take part in the learning so we spoke to them about utilizing a different space and we made sure that he was able to participate in that experience we look at adapting furniture we looked at we'll also look at adapting spaces you know whatever we can do to make that experience um, uh, as much the same as any other child is really key and critical here at Southern Cross one of the things that's really important here at Southern Cross is the outside learning environment and one of the things that I'm looking forward to over the next uh, few years is working out how we can make our outside learning experiences more accessible to children. Um, we know that uh, you know, climbing is really important for children to build up their strength and so how can children with mobility issues still have that opportunity to climb in a safe way here at Southern Cross. So that's something that we're in the process of, process of exploring at the moment.
0: In this space, allies can be teachers, principals and policy makers, but they can also be school friends and other parents. You heard Cherie's thoughts on that. Now here's what Sean has to say.
1: Remove the judgment is always the first key. You don't know what's going on in the background and lots of the parents aren't going to be going, hey darling, this is what's going on in my life. And just openness, realise that there is going to be differences that are going to flick up along the way and especially with our special needs kids you know every day is going to be an adventure so strap in and ride the ride because it's going to be crazy and even if the kid is different in the classroom still let them go to stuff if your kids are having kids parties and stuff don't let that one child that's different be the child who doesn't get invited to your kids party and that sort of stuff even if you know your kids being a little (laughs) Mm -mm 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 -mm, by not inviting the child Be the bigger person, you're the adult, you're setting the example.
0: So we're almost out of time, but what are our tips for the toolkit? Be positive about diversity, in the classroom as well as in the community. Kindness is important. That's not my words, those are the words of Kurt Fernley in his New South Wales Australian of the Year acceptance. But it counts for school too. And as Shona said, leave the judgment at home. And if you want some more tips, I've got a couple of podcasts that could be useful for you. There is the NCCD Classroom Adjustments by Education Services Australia and two Ps in a podcast, that is two with a double O. That's it for another episode. Next time on The Future is Inclusive, we tackle health.
1: So we've got an actual word for that or a, a phrase called diagnostic overshadowing. What we're actually presenting with is an issue that's unrelated um, to that physical appearance and is just like... You might have a cold or have appendicitis or have a dental problem, but that's the one that actually needs to be fixed.
0: That's next time. The Future is Inclusive is funded by the ACT Office for Disability. I'm Cara Matthews, and thanks to Sean Cady, Sheree, Henley, Lyndall Reid and our producer, Kim Lester.